Welcome to South African Crime Stories, a bi-monthly podcast covering serial killers who were prolific in South Africa. We will go into why they committed their crimes, who they affected, and what happened after they were caught. A lot of these cases happened a long time ago, so information might be scarce, but to the best of my ability, I will try to provide a well-rounded, balanced look at the crimes that these individuals committed. Regarding whether the names of the victims will be published, I am still not sure about how I will go about that, and it will just happen on a case-by-case basis depending on the severity of the crime and the content or context of the crime that will help me determine whether I should include the names of the victims or not so please bear with me as we go on this journey and explore South African crime stories together warning the following story is not intended for younger audiences. The story includes acts of violence against vulnerable members of the community and animals. Should anything in the story trigger you in any way, please stop listening and seek help. Let us get started on today's story. So today we will be talking about the insurance killer, you know, and if you've been watching the news recently, you know of the case of this lady who killed her friends and family members to collect the insurance money. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun because in 1903, you know, 1903, There was a man by the name of Pierre Corneille Foucles Besson. I might have messed up that pronunciation, but you know what? We move. We move. So for the rest of the story, I'll just call him Pierre. So Pierre was born in 1880. Uh, He had, you know, he lived with his mother and his father and younger brother Jasper And when Pierre was 17 years old, his father passed away. Now, this would have somewhat of like a a big impact on Pierre, but not in the way that you think. Now, before we get into the death of his father, Pierre in and of himself, he was a troubled child, to say the least. Um, Police officers and people who knew him growing up said that he was just a pretty violent person and had a short temper, but at the same time was really smart and charming and had a way of like luring people in and being very convincing, you know, just a smooth talker. But there was always this like undercurrent of violence and anger that would just erupt from time to time. And that when he was in school, he had attacked a boy with a knife And he also just enjoyed hurting animals. So he would catch and torture birds. He also chopped off the feet, um, like the cat's feet. I don't know, the feet of cats? This is where English is failing me here. But he would chop off their feet and just enjoyed watching them writhe in pain. 
And this is all before his father passed away. Now, when his father did pass away, um, they got, the family got like an insurance payout. Um, and he obviously got some money as well. And with that money, he just gained a bit of independence. And now that his father wasn't around, he was kind of like, you know, the man of the house. Um, so he could do as he pleased. And he just, you know, had this extra level of freedom that he enjoyed. But this gave him an idea. You know, considering the amount of money he made off of the death of his father, this could be a great opportunity for him to, you know, rake in some cash in the future. So what he did was he insured or got life policies on several people in his life. And the total cover for all these people was £3,500. Now, he, you know told the insurance company that like listen you know the death of my father has really opened my eyes to you know how fleeting life is wah, 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 wah. um and obviously the insurance company is suspicious but like you have this person telling you the sob story and like they had no legitimate reason to deny um his request to open these policies so he goes ahead and opens these policies on a whole bunch of people and one of the people he adds to this policy is his brother right now within the space of a year he lets the policies so he's making the payments but over time he lets the payments sort of lapse on everyone covered in the policy but his brother he continues to pay his brother's you know premiums um so now just the brother is covered for three thousand five hundred pounds now just to give you like an idea of what that money is worth now today 2021 3500 pounds in 1903 was or is 447000 pounds now in 2021 that's a crazy amount of money i don't even want to convert it to rands cuz i might cry Anyway, so <laughs> so um, a year after opening this, you know, this policy on his brother and all these other people, he invites his brother to go fishing in um, Gordon's Bay. Now, for whatever reason, he goes ahead and stays and like stays the night in a hotel in Gordon's Bay. And his brother was said to meet him the following day. So on the 13th of February, um, Pierre checks into the Holloway Hotel, if I'm not mistaken. Checks into the Holloway Hotel um, and obviously stays the night. And he asks the owner of the hotel a few questions about the area like you know has anyone drowned recently and you know um if they did drown did the bodies wash up ashore um and obviously the owner of the hotels answering these questions not really thinking much of it um and you know just assuming that maybe he's a bit anxious about going out um into the water the next day so the next day on the 14th of april um jasper pierre's younger brother um, who's 17 at the time, Jasper goes, um, meets with Pierre, and they go fishing, right? A while later, these two men, Mr. August and Mr. Ford, they bump into this young man 
um, while they're walking back um, from fishing. And this young man, Pierre, tells them that their younger brother has drowned in the water and that um, the younger brother was standing on a rock just fishing and this huge wave comes and engulfs the brother and before he could go in and try to save the brother another like a second wave comes and just knocks him out and while he's in the water sort of like fighting to survive he sees his brother's you know limp body float to the surface of the water and as he's trying to swim to his brother to drag him out of the water a third wave comes and just sucks him in and he doesn't see his brother again right now mr ford and mr august they note that like this is very very suspicious um just because of how he's telling the story like he's not frantic he's not panicking i mean considering that you know the story that you're telling is pretty like you know fucked up you would assume someone would be in somewhat of an emotional state you know desperately pleading for help or any kind of thing but he's just standing there saying all of these things all matter-of-factly you know anyway another thing that stood out to mr august and mr ford was if you were in fact you know just like a, a taken by the second wave and sucked into the water and you know you're fighting for your laugh in there um how is it that only one pant leg is wet the other one is dry you know so when the wave engulfed you you managed to keep one leg above water like how does that make sense you know um but anyway a search party ensues and they all go out looking for the brother and they're searching and they're searching and they can't find the brother and the brother is pres uh, presumed dead due to a catastrophic natural event now uh, pierre goes back to his hometown and you know makes a claim once he wants the insurance money of course and the insurance company is like no 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 this whole situation is suspicious um they hold like they have a bit of an investigation they talk to the owner of the hotel they talk to mr august and mr ford and in the process it comes out that pierre had tried to bribe the owner of the hotel to lie about his whereabouts and to kind of give him an alibi and just just to lie about certain details um so obviously the insurance company is like now nah, we think you're trying to like defraud us in some way so we're not gonna pay you um and pierre is like oh shucks you know wow okay and when he goes to tell his mother this, his mother's like, hell no, you go back and you make sure that those bitches give you that your money. You know, that's your money and you need it. OK, so we're going to take this matter to court and we're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that you get every cent of the money that you deserve. Right. So the matter ends up going all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rules in favor of Pierre. Now, so the insurance company has to now fork out all this money and give it to Pierre. Um, so there we go. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Pierre gets his £3,500. Okay, so tidbit. I forgot to mention. <laughs> this story takes place in Cape Town. 
right? Or the Cape Colony, as it was known at the time. Um, and so now that Pierre has this money, him and his mother moved to a, you know, beautiful estate in Claremont, and it's called the Arum. So they moved there, and, you know, things are looking good. Things are looking good. So now that he has this money, which is, you know, obviously a lot of money, he comes up with another idea. You know, the smart man, Pierre, always coming up with new schemes. So here he is with another scheme. And this time, the scheme is that he's going to be a loan shark. He's going to lend people money. And uh, a way of him ensuring that he gets his money back is that people, the people he loans money to will have to write him in their life insurances or their insurance policies to make sure that even if these people die, um, he gets his money no matter what, right? Now, as strange as it might seem, I looked it up because I was just like, who the hell does this? You know what I mean? Um, but it was a really common occurrence back then. And I guess maybe because like healthcare and science and stuff like weren't as great as they are now, like people could just die like that. Um, and you know, I don't know, I don't know, but that's how life was back then. And no one was suspicious about it. It wasn't a weird thing. Everyone was doing it. Now, what was suspicious in this case was that. Pierre had no intention of ever waiting for you to now pay this money back in installment. Instead, what he'd do is he'd cut to the chase and kill the people, right? So he killed his debtors, he killed his friends, and he killed a total of eight people, eight to nine people by the end of his, you know, um, run, he had killed that many people. And he would just cash in, cash in, cash in. And for whatever reason, I guess... It was never really flagged as suspicious. Um, and these cases were linked to him only retrospectively after his last case and the reason why he got caught. So let's get into how he got caught. So Pierre is here, you know, living his best life, killing people, collecting insurance money and just, you know, doing what all rich people do exploit people in need now while he's living his best life he hears about a plot of land that's for sale and this plot of land is like almost around like 12 kilometers away from him at the end of clipperfield road and it's a pretty you know big sizable plot of land it's called the highlands farm and the highlands farm was owned by Mr. Wilhelm Schaefer. I don't know why I'm putting on the accent, but I don't know like a way of saying it that sounds normal without the accent. Do you get what I mean? Like Wilhelm? Wilhelm. Um, so Wilhelm Schaefer lived on the farm with his brother. And not much is said about the brother, you know. Uh, the brother's name was Gottlieb. Or Hotlieb, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he lived on the farm with his brother, and um, I guess they ran the farm. But for whatever reason, Mr. Schaefer decided that he needed to sell the farm. So Pierre approaches him 
and obviously begins negotiations regarding the sale of the farm. Now, Mr. Schaefer, when I say Mr. Schaefer, I mean Wilhelm. We won't really say much about the brother. Um, so Mr. Schaefer wanted 1,400 pounds for the farm. And Pierre managed to negotiate and bring him down to 1,020 pounds. So they agree on this price and they go to Mr. Schaefer's lawyer um, to sort of draft the deed of sale. And um, Mr. Schaefer, Wilhelm, being the smart, sort of crafty, witty person that he was, he included a clause that the transfer of the property and all of that cannot happen until Mr. Schaefer um, physically signs the proof of a payment um, and that he has to physically oversee the whole process. And this is obviously to avoid scams, scammery, all of that nonsense, which, I mean, I feel like is smart, you know? Um, so this clause is put in and all is well, but... Pierre doesn't know about this clause being included, even though he was there to meet with the lawyer. Um, I guess maybe Mr. Schaefer went back, you know, after the initial meeting with the lawyer and added that clause. I'm not sure how Pierre was unaware of this clause. Anyway, a week passes and Pierre then goes to the lawyer by himself. And he tells the lawyer, like, listen, I paid um, Mr. Schaefer. He's got his money. So, you know, bring out the paperwork. Let's get the show on the road. And the lawyer's like, whoop, sorry. Can't help you there, boo. Mr. Sh uh, Mr. Schaefer has to be here himself um, to sort of oversee this whole process. Also, you're not, like, you don't have a receipt. You're not, there's no proof of payment in any way so even if the, this clause wasn't here i wouldn't be able to go ahead with anything without a proof of sale so a proof of payment so hard luck hard luck better luck next time so pierre obviously is not one to be you know easily discouraged by a minor setback so he goes back to the drawing board and he's like okay 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 we need to be smart about this you know what i mean so he decides to then forge a proof of payment, right? So he forges a receipt and then goes back to the lawyer. The lawyer looks at this situation and is like, okay, well, cool. But Mr. Schaefer's signature is not on this proof of payment. So he that means that he hasn't confirmed that he's received the payment. And with that being said, it's still... It's still a tricky situation, you know, because Mr. Schaefer is not here. And Pierre says, no, but Mr. Schaefer is in Kimberley, so there's no way that you'll be able to contact him, you know. Um, but obviously, I just want to get the ball on the road, and it's not my fault that he's in Kimberley. I'm showing you proof of payment. Now, what must do can happen? And the lawyer is just like, listen. You know, the lawyer is like smelling something fishy, because at some point... Pierre also kind of like offers him 850 pounds but like masks it as you know I'm just gonna throw this on top as well because you know my mom just gave it to me as I was leaving the house you know it's my tuck shop money 
or something stupid like that and that obviously raises alarms to the lawyer so the lawyer then um gives pierre like a draft copy of the the deed agreement or whatever and says that okay like cool if you're struggling with money or you can't get the loan or whatever maybe this draft copy will help you know um so you can take it to the bank and maybe that can help you get a loan so pierre is like hella frustrated at this point because like what the hell i'm trying to scam this guy out of his money and property and uh, this lawyer is just such a stickler for the rules uh, you know anyway so once again he has to go back to the drawing board at this point he's come to the conclusion that mr schaefer and his lawyer like they're just enemies of progress and he has to take more drastic measures if he wants to get what he you know wants which is the highlands farm so he comes up with a plan he asks a, a farm boy who lives next door like nearby and asks the boy i think his name is peter christian or something along those lines um he asks the farm boy to come over to his property and help dig like a really dig a really deep hole in the chicken coop and the boy obviously doesn't know what's going on um but he's also asked to dig this hole like at night you know under the cover of darkness and he explains this away by saying that he wants to install you know these pipes but the government or you know the municipality hasn't given him the per the permits to do so um and they refuse to give him the permits um so he's just going to go ahead and do it anyway by himself and i guess this was like a an okay thing or like it was normal for people to do that and he just didn't want the neighbors to report him which is why he wanted this thing to happen at night and that's what he told his mother and this is what he told peter christian so peter christian goes ahead and digs this hole the next step in pierre's you know plan is to buy chloroform so he goes to this pharmacy on long street and i looked it up and that pharmacy is not there anymore which i think is a good thing because pierre had also gone to this pharmacy to buy cyanide and the cyanide was used to kill his previous you know debtors um so clearly you know drugs and stuff weren't really controlled or you know anyone could just go by the pharmacy get what you needed you know murder someone and move on with your day anyway so he got the chloroform from the pharmacy and now the final step was just to invite mr schaefer over to collect the money and to celebrate the sale and this new venture that they'd be going on um so mr schaefer obviously accepts the offer and makes his way to pierre's place but on his way there he makes a stop at um like he's passes by a blacksmith and he tells the blacksmith that like listen i would like to you know order uh, a few pairs of shoes for my horses um but i will be back in an hour or two i'm just going over to um pierre's place to collect some money and then i'll be back and i'll pay you collect the shoes 
and be on my way. Now, Mr. Schaefer has a reputation of being, you know, really frugal, responsible, and just a dependable person all around. So when, you know, the sort of the day comes and goes and it's now the next day and Mr. Schaefer hasn't come to collect the shoes or made his payment, the shop owner was, you know, obviously a bit concerned. So he goes to the police and tells the police like, hey, you know, I think this guy's missing. Um, he was supposed to make a payment and like he's very reliable, so on and so forth. Um, he told me that he was going to go collect some money. Um, I'm not sure where, like somewhere, you know, Claremont vibes. Um, but yeah, that's all I kind of know. And that he was going to go see Pierre or whatever. But point is, I think he's missing and I, I, I can't get a hold of him. I can't find him. So the police obviously then start their search and with obviously not much information and really no evidence of anything, they off, they quickly sort of reach the extent of where the investigation can take them. So they make a plea to the public through the August newspaper. So at the time, obviously because it was a Cape Colony, um, so the Argus is like a, a British paper that obviously was also running in South Africa. And now it's just called the Cape Argus, but at the time it was called the Argus. And they made a plea to the public asking if for anyone to come forward with information about Mr. Schaefer. And they described, you know, Mr. Schaefer's appearance, um, what he was last seen wearing and so on and so forth. And they try their best. Um, so someone, and I'll tell you who that someone is later, but someone writes an anonymous letter to the police saying like, hey, I think I know where the guy is. I think he's here, here, and here. Um, but the police, for some reason, don't do anything about the letter, don't respond, don't act on it. I mean, why ask for help if you're not going to take it, you know? Um... And the police's, you know, campaign continues and eventually Pierre voluntarily um, participates in an interview with the Argus where he talks about how, um, you know, there are these rumors going around about him and that it's actually bad for business and it's just really frustrating, you know, um, because it's all just gossip. It's all just gossip and people really need to stop sort of painting his name with all of this and that he had, you know, obviously, yes, Mr. Schaefer came through, but he collected his money, they celebrated, and then he went on about, like, his business. Like, he just, he left. And he was fine and happy. And this um, blacksmith guy who opened the case in the first place, like, I went to him and I showed him the proof of payment and the deed and everything. And, like he knows so like what reason would i have to do anything to mr schaefer because we had conducted business and our business was was done now the blacksmith would say that yes indeed you know pierre did come and show him the paperwork right but he found it to be a bit suspicious because the you know deed and everything was dated for the 11th of November. But Mr. Schaefer went missing on the 22nd of November. You get what I mean? You know what I mean? So how is it 
that you have proof of a sale that happened 11 days before the sale happened. Do you get what I mean? Like, suspicious, Very shady. Just come on. Come on now, Pierre. You know, you're smart and everything. And you've been doing everything pretty well so far. But you're slipping. You're slipping. And it shows. It's showing. Anyway. Um, so... The same day that this um, interview is uh, released in the newspaper, a second letter is um, also received by the police. And this the second letter is, you know, from the person who wrote the first letter. And this time the person is more adamant. They're like, come on now. As per my first letter, I really, 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 really think that I know where Mr. Schaefer is. You know, now let's backtrack a little before, you know, getting to the end. Now, the day that Mr. Schaefer went to Pierre's place, it is suspected that um, Pierre and his friend, uh, Tobias Lowe, um, they sort of celebrated or had drinks with Mr. Schaefer, um, discussed, you know, payments and all of these things, had a short conversation. Um, but then they probably like drugged him with the chloroform to subdue him. And the article that I read, they said that they suspect that Tobias and Pierre throttled Mr. Schaefer. And I just feel like that is such a strong word you know what I mean to throttle someone like it's not just to strangle or to choke or whatever like to asphyxiate someone to throttle you know what I mean (laughs) anyway that is a pretty strong word but yes that's what they suspect happened that they might have you know subdued him um because he was a pretty, like, big and burly man, obviously. If you're working on a farm, you know, you've got muscles. You know what I mean? Um, so they, they suspect that they used the chloroform to subdue him. And then they throttled him. Um, and then dragged his body out to the back garden. And dumped his body in the hole. And then covered his body with lime. I forgot to mention, on his shopping list, along with chloroform, was also lime. Um, and while this was happening, a woman by the name of, give me a second, a woman by the name of Catherine Caroline Josephine Mochella, um, was walking by and she kind of vaguely saw, obviously because she wasn't on the property, she was outside the property so she could see through the fence. Um, and through the fence, she saw two men dragging, you know, a body, um, and then dropping that body into a hole. And then she heard one of the men say, hand me the lime, right? Um, so obviously this is very shady and suspicious, but because she was a black woman, um, she decided not to go to the police because she was afraid that she would be arrested just, you know, for being black. Um, and that they wouldn't take her seriously and consider it. And she was the one who also wrote the the letters. Um, so considering the fact that, you know, the first letter was ignored, you know, I, I don't think her suspicions were unfounded. But anyway, um, so that's what they suspect happened. 
Now, the day that the letter, the day the police really uh, received uh, Caroline's second letter is the same day that this article came out with Pierre sort of saying that everyone's lying and stuff like that. Um, and so the police are like, you know what, let's just act immediately because clearly, you know, the community is saying something, the community is aware of of something and then also there's this letter where you know caroline is saying that in the chicken coop like you need to dig pretty deep but check by the chicken coops there there's a hole pierre done did it pierre done did it so she obviously didn't know who pierre was she just said um i think the the street that the rm property was on was like heatherfield road if i'm not mistaken give me a second heatherton so it was on heatherton road in claremont so this is what she she just gives them like a general address and says the rms heatherton road check by the chicken coops because that's where it went down so the police then pull through and they start digging in the garden now i don't know how things were set up and like you know in the movies um you know, the police come knocking on the door and then they present you with a warrant and then only do, they sort of like go through the property and start searching for things. But the way the story is told here, it seems like the police kind of just rocked up, went straight to the back garden without really communicating with anyone. Because Pierre was in his room when he just looked out the window and saw the police there. And when he left his room, his mother and brother, now this other brother just suddenly shows up in this story so i don't know if the brother was always there i don't i don't know um i don't know anyway so his mother and his brother don't really know what's going on either when it comes to the police digging in the garden but i guess they're not too concerned about it because they're not guilty of anything or they don't you know they don't know what's going on anyway so pierre uh tells his brother oh my gosh i'm in such big trouble the police are here for me and like it's all tobias's fault tobias did it tobias tobias um but yeah i guess i i helped too so i'm also kind of responsible i'm gonna go to jail oh my gosh um he then also goes to his mother and like gives his mother a kiss on the forehead and says wow ma you know tobias got us in some into some deep shit right here and yeah i'm so sorry i'm so sorry but that's how the cookie crumbles you know so i'm gonna have to face the music let me just get dressed for the police and then i will go and i'll face them he goes into his room and then ka ka well not not two maybe just one you know pierre then shoots himself so eraser it's just ka he shoots himself um he shoots himself in the head and dies um and obviously this is to avoid being interrogated by the police uh the police eventually obviously following the smell and the instructions given to them in the letter by uh caroline they um find the body now the lime obviously had its way with mr schaefer's body but there was enough um of him left for them to make a positive uh, ID and to say that yes, this is in fact Mr. Schaefer. Um, now, obviously, the police continue their investigation and they look into Tobias Lowe. 
and Tobias goes through like a lengthy court battle and it's just you know it's it's intense but eventually he's found not guilty because there isn't enough information um, or not enough evidence tying him to the crime so he's released um, Pierre's mother was also arrested and held for a week um, but then she was eventually released as well um, because there wasn't enough evidence on him and that's kind of how or there wasn't enough evidence on the mother as well regarding her involvement in the crime but that is basically the story that is that is it um for me i have like several questions one how is it that the shopkeeper is the one reporting mr schaefer missing and not his brother gottlieb right now the only thing that comes up about gottlieb is that after mr schaefer goes missing pierre goes to um the farm obviously and starts rummaging through mr schaefer's papers and you know is trying to organize everything and just figure out like how much money is he working with you know and gottlieb obviously protests and is like no there's no way my brother sold this to you like you don't live here you have no right to be here warra warra fish paste um so that's the only thing that i hear about gottlieb is the fact that he's mostly protesting you know, Pierre moving in and not really questioning where his brother is. Um, and obviously that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't do anything. It's just, you know, considering what is reported, I, I'm, I'm wondering. Um, another thing for me is, honestly, I suspect the mom. I suspect that the mom was involved in this idea or that she was the one whispering in his ear, giving him ideas because she was the one who initially told him like to pursue the money in the first place after, um, what is the brother's name again? Anyway, after the younger brother passed away, uh, is it Jeffrey? I think it's Jeffrey. Anyway, after the brother passed away, like she was the one who was like, you know what, go get that money, even though Pierre had kind of accepted defeat. And I don't know, a part of me thinks that like every time he went to the lawyer and would come back unsuccessful, um, his mother would probably be the one telling him to, you know, go back to the drawing board and figure out another way of getting that money, you know, them chankuras. So, I don't know. And, okay, even if she's not involved in, you know, his later crimes, you cannot say that she didn't know that she had raised a monster, considering the fact that he would catch and torture birds and watch cats writhe in pain as he chopped off their feet. Like, you know what type of nonsense you're dealing with here. So then for you to try to remain oblivious and gullible and all of that stuff, like, nah, you know, especially because they were still living together. I'd understand if, you know, you raise your child and then they go out into the world and whatever they do is no longer your business, but they're still living together in the same house. You can see their comings and goings. You know what's going on, you know? Um, so that for me also is just like, ugh, why are people getting away with this? Like Tobias, I don't know. The fact that he comes out of nowhere, it, it's hard to tell whether, you know, Tobias was just invited and then roped into a situation that 
they had no idea what happened, you know, and the fact that Pierre had a tendency of, you know, abusing his power over people. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Tobias was bullied into being an accomplice. So I guess I'm less angry at Tobias and more angry at the mom. Um, and my other question is why wasn't the death of Jasper investigated as like a crime as a possible murder? Because I feel like if it, if that had been the case, the Supreme Court would not have ruled in Pierre's favor for him to get the money. I don't know what the procedures were at the time or what was considered like a suspicious death. I don't know whether people were drowning left, right and center and being sucked into the ocean by waves on a regular basis. So there was nothing really special about the fact that Jasper was one of many people to be sucked into the ocean, never to be seen again. But for me, like looking at the fact that Mr. August and Mr. Ford, you know, um, are noted to like they said they they said that Pierre's behavior was suspicious and that he only had one wet leg and the the hotel owner as well you know um and the fact that Pierre had asked these really shady questions leading up to the murder like how was this not something that was investigated? And then the fact that he's now fervently pursuing this insurance money, I feel like that would have been enough to at least open some kind of case um, and to just add more sort of firepower behind the investigation, behind the search of Pierre. Because I think if they had like looked harder for his body and not just had community members looking for him... Um, then maybe they might have found his body and they might have found like markings on his body to show that like, okay, cool. Yeah, the ocean is out here. It'd be out here killing people left, right and center. But I've yet to find a case of the the ocean strangling people. Do you get what I mean? Like if you find strangulation marks and all of these other things, like sure, he might have drowned, but the ocean doesn't strangle people. So yeah, I just... I feel like a lot of death could have been avoided um, if the right people in power were conscientious enough to sort of see his behavior as troubling. You know what I mean? Um, and gotten him the help that he needed. Like if he had a mental health issue, then like get that sorted out or to take him to like a detention center, like a, a youth detention center to sort of like teach him early on the consequences of his actions. Um, and it doesn't seem like that was the case. In fact, it seems like his mother just sort of like coddled him um, and that he just managed to get away with so much. Obviously, I don't know how people managed to solve crimes back then, like with no DNA surveillance and tracking and all of these other things. It must have been really tricky um, and people sort of imaginations i guess were limited back then so you if you can't imagine someone doing something then you can't like you know you would never even think to investigate something like that if that makes sense so yeah that's the case of the insurance killer i hope you enjoyed the story and as i said before for those of us who are seasoned crime story listeners this is a pretty light story, like light story on the horrid scale, 
but yeah there are some deep ones coming up i know that um the next story involves you know rape drug abuse and all sorts of things and i'm honestly not looking forward to it just because i feel like just even me researching it will be pretty fucking triggering but i'm still fascinated by these stories and i think what fascinates me is i talking about imagination i can't imagine myself doing the things that these people do um and I just can't imagine a reason why someone would do these things. And, you know, everyone lives life differently and how people get to a certain point in life is very different for each person. And our threshold for pain and suffering is also different, you know, Um, because as much as we can say that there are many people who are like abused growing up and they don't turn into serial killers. But there are some people where that abuse is, you know, part of the reason why they do become serial killers and it's because their threshold for being able to maybe um, hold in that pain is a lot lower than maybe the average person. I don't know. But that's where my curiosity comes from. And I really do hope you enjoyed the story. They will be a lot more succinct and organized um, moving forward. This was just like my first story. And because it was so old and there's very little information on it, um, it was kind of difficult for me to sort of get the well-rounded structured story that I would prefer and the ones that I enjoy listening to. But with that being said, I'm happy that I have actually just gotten over the hurdle of being afraid to make this recording in the first place. And hopefully with more practice, it'll get easier. And then, you know, once I get my fear of just recording out of the way, we can then work on structure and all of these other things. But yeah, that's it from me. Have a good day and take care of yourself. Bye.